Brought to you by DKP and Code Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you. Tony, uh, another big show set tonight. We're going to talk uh, expansion and we're going to have a focus on Tasmania. Robert Belticki, the head of the Tasmanian bid, or one of them, will join us to talk about his plans for expanding onto the Apple Isle. Do you think it's a good idea? Well, they came out in a big, uh, big guns blazing, uh, maybe eighteen months ago. Yeah. They had the strip and all ready to go. And Support from the federal yeah. and state government yeah. to build a stadium I, there. I think uh, the prime minister was involved in discussions with their MP about uh, upgrading the um, North Ho- North Hobart Oval. So, yeah, well, it ticks everything. They don't have a professional team. But I'm just not sure whether FFA would want a team out of Tasmania. I still think they, they're going to be looking when they eventually decide to look at a team out of uh, the major city of Sydney and, and the major city of Melbourne. You've lived in both cities. Uh, before we get uh, stuck into the conversation with Robert, what do, what's your view? Take your Sydney FC hat off yep. now. You're not a Sydney FC uh, CEO anymore. No. <laughs> Sydney, to me, seems like it could sustain another team, given its geographical divide and difference, as we've seen with Western Sydney, when they had Parramatta Stadium pumping, and when they go back in there, they'll fill that stadium because they're so far away from the eastern suburbs. And if you've ever lived in Sydney, you know how difficult it is to get from one side of town to the other. In Melbourne, it's a very different story. We've got two teams playing out of the one stadium, so you just don't have that geographical divide. So my view is... We can't have another team in Melbourne, but perhaps we can in Sydney. Yeah, look, Sydney, you know, the, the talk is South Sydney. And, um, and I know the, the late Les Murray was involved, Craig Foster's involved, the former uh, Premier, Morris Yemmer, is involved in the South Sydney bid. Um, I know that the uh, Sydney FC people don't want it. So talk to us about South... So for those who aren't too familiar with South Sydney, whereabouts exactly are we talking? How far is it from, from the Sydney CBD? Oh, it's not far at all. It's Mascot Airport. So if you know, yeah. if you've landed at uh, Sydney, it's uh, there. It is from there onwards. So it's very, very close. So to, they're talking uh, about a ground uh, around well, Mascot. Well, there's there's a ground Cogra. I don't think it'll go to Cogra. I think the ground will be used. Will be Shark Park in Cronulla. In Cronulla. Um, but I, I think you know you've got Wollongong who uh, you know could uh, could venture. But it's and Cronulla, you've got a, a mix of uh, different cultures there. Is it is it right that there are a lot of uh, Greeks and Italians that uh, that living down that uh, beachside area? Uh, around Cronulla? Um, I never really ventured. To, I never went to Cronulla, to be honest. <laughs> Here we go. I mean, Tony was stuck in Potts Point. Uh, he didn't really venture outside <laughs> no, of Potts Point, the to, postcode and, I went to and Oxford Long. Street, and that was yeah, about it. I was it. a uh, yeah. <laughs> typical latte eastern uh, suburb uh, sort of person. But um, I think... I think it's too close, um, but I think if they push further south and there's talk about Liverpool, etc., um, and it, it really follows what David Gallup wants to see of FFA. You know, go where the fish are, and uh, there's a big population. It's a massive football area, the Sutherland Shire. It's probably the biggest um, population of, of, of registered players. Um, it will hurt Sydney FC. They'll have to deal with it and learn to live with it because it's going to happen, Michael. So you, uh, you're putting your money on another Sydney team. I'd love to see uh, this Tasmanian team get up, and uh, we'll talk to Robert Belteki shortly about 
why and and, and uh, his plans for Tasmania. And also on the show uh, today, we're going to be speaking to John Stensold, who uh, is uh, a journalist with the Australian Financial Review. He'll give us some some great insights into the business side of our game and, and talk a little bit about the, the Premier League rights, which were just announced uh, over the last few days and, and what that means uh, more broadly for, for television rights uh, across the globe. Yeah, and, um, and we'll have a chat to him about the um, the uh, AFC and their, uh, I suppose, quirky, um, I suppose, regulations and, and the cost it is to, to clubs who play in the um, Champions League, such as uh, Melbourne Victory, uh, who played last night in Sydney, who are playing tonight, and what they have to do to, you know, the cost-wise to cover the stadia in all the sponsor signage, etc., which is very, very expensive. Yeah, you experienced it uh, in your time at Sydney FC. All that and more coming up on this edition of the Football Bosses. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Code Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to Football Nation Radio and the football bosses, Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata with you. And uh, joining us on the line now is our special guest for this program. His name is Robert Beltecki and uh, he's one of the gentlemen who is uh, leading the bid for a, an expansion franchise in Tasmania. He joins us from Manchester of all places. So we thank you for uh, joining us nice and early over there, Robert. Uh, Tell us a bit about what's happening because we know that uh, the debate around expansion uh, is a constant one. It's one that we've been having uh, for the last year now. Uh, We still get to see any movement from the FFA. Firstly, have you had any discussions with the FFA in recent times to indicate that, you know, this will happen sooner rather than later? No, no, we haven't, unfortunately. Um, And we haven't had any, any further feedback official or unofficial from the FFA uh, since our since our discussions some time ago now where, um, where I, I suppose it's fair to say the expansion debate was ignited there there was there was um, a statement put out that there'd be a timeline for expansion but um, that hasn't that hasn't really eventuated so I suppose we're one we're sitting here waiting we're ready uh, we always we always have been and always are and are at the moment uh, to go forward, but to get some some form of guidance from from the FFA on on where their timeline sits. Robert, uh, for those who haven't heard about your bid, give us a little bit of detail around uh, what you're planning to do and and who you've engaged with down in Tasmania and why you think it will work down there. Well, we we think it would work for, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, there's, there's a basic there's a basic tenant here that. The A League is a national competition. Uh, Tasmania is is the um, is the only state that really isn't represented in it. Tasmania is not represented in any national competition. We think it would be uh, a major impetus to sport in the state. We think people would be greatly attracted by by football being being involved in the national code. Uh, the crowds that that Hobart in particular draws for events down there, big bash games, AFL games when they're supporting, going to watch teams that aren't even their own team would clearly indicate that the support base is down there, uh, the sponsorship base is down there. There are lots of companies there who want to get onto the national stage and the A-League team would, would get them onto the national stage in terms of commercial TV exposure on the mainland. 
uh, the the government's behind it, the people are behind it, and we've got the we've got the resources, uh, we've got the ability to to seriously look at building a stadium as well. Um, I think I think it's really people keep saying to me it's a no-brainer as to why why there shouldn't be a Tasmanian team in the A-League. So we we still stand in the same space that we were a year or so ago. That um, we're um, we've got a team together, we've got a group together, we've got the resources together, we've got support from many angles uh, in Tasmania and outside of there to, to get a team up and running very quickly. Robert. Um you know, you've got some high-profile people. I know that uh, the Prime Minister, um, Malcolm Turnbull, actually met with uh, one of the MPs there about upgrading, um, was it North Hobart, North Hobart Oval? Um, and that sort of came out about 18 months ago. So, I mean, you came out with big guns and, and, yeah. and all sort of stuff, and you're frustrated that FFA is sort of stonewalling or really going slow in this whole expansion uh, process? Yes. I think um, yes, um, there, there was, there was um, a strong momentum from not just us, from a number of other clubs who put a lot of time and effort into putting into putting their expansion bits together. Uh, and, and I suppose the frustration would be emanating from more from the from the lack of direction of where this is heading. Um, us in particular, we 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 spoke with all sides of politics in Tasmania, and there were also discussions at the highest level of politics in in Australia regarding our bid and, and there was positive support all around. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's died for quite a period of time now. So we'd definitely like to know where this is heading um, and, and uh, where, where we should be focusing our investment. So, yes, we are frustrated. Is, is that support still there from a government perspective? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, Tasmania, Tasmania definitely needs and wants and should have uh, a team in the A-League. There's, there's little doubt about that and there's never been any doubt raised by any section of the football community um, in, in Australia that that should be the case. Um, so I think um, I think if, if the expansion opportunities were to were to be ignited again, we could recommence discussions very quickly. Not, those, not that those discussions and those relationships have, have gone cold or, 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 or faded in any way over the course of the last year. Robert, you spoke. Uh, I've spoken to you over the last sort of eighteen months about this, and one of the things that excited me was uh, that not only the support from the government, but uh, the fact that uh, with that support, um, a viable option for a, a boutique stadium uh, would be looked at. Can you talk us through that? Well, a boutique stadium would solve would would, would um, provide many opportunities. No, but not just not just for an A-League football team. Yes, they, they would be the core tenant for A-League games, but. Hobart's growing rapidly. It's probably the most most rapidly growing city in Australia at the moment in terms of population and um, and, and investment. So, a multi-purpose stadium that would provide opportunities for A-League games, for some rugby league games down there, for concerts, etc., is is timely now. The A-League would be the major A-League team would be the major tenants of it, but it definitely provides that that basis for Hobart to. To join other capital cities in in having a stadium that can that can provide a number of a number of purposes, so it's commercially viable from from, from that aspect, and it's something again that all sides of politics in the state were fully supportive of. Obviously, they've got a Tasmanian election coming up uh, uh, very soon. Uh, so, have you got support from from both sides of politics in Tasmania? Yes, in, in the discussions we've had we've had last week, discussions have been ongoing. Uh, there is there is no one in the state that doesn't see the value and the benefit in in having 
having not just an A-League team but a stadium that can provide uh, opportunities for the state to, to, to hold major concerts, major events, major sporting events, cultural events, etc. So I, I, I don't think the, the, the issue of a stadium is in, any, is in any way seen negatively by anyone in the state by inside politics. Robert, I know that Melbourne Victory sort of tried to make a, uh, a footprint in Tasmania. They, they played some um, A-League uh, games there. I think it was pre-season. I know that Sydney FC actually played there. Um, but I think, I think, you know, having their own team, and as you said before, there's, they don't have a professional team. I think, I think they've got a, a big bash team and they've got an NBL team. Um, but yeah. they don't have one of the major sporting codes. So I think it uh, would be a coup for, for Tasmania. Um, but I'm just mindful of the, the fact of FFA that we went to release their footprint on expansion about a year ago, February last year, and that didn't happen. Uh, we're now February 2018, and uh, I think it's too late for uh, season 1920, um, or 18-19 to be honest. I think you know, the, the more likely is going to be sort of 1920. And you know, for me, I'm hearing they're talking about a, a team in Sydney and, and a team in Melbourne uh, for initial expansion. If Tasmania wouldn't get a, a license first up, would be something that you sort of keep pushing for the next stage because we need to grow from from 10 to 12 to 14 to maybe to 16. Okay, I, I think there's a broader discussion to be had here, and I think it's a broader discussion about about how how the AB and now any business and, and football is a business needs to continually grow and evolve and, and, and reinvigorate itself. Um, we are a very competitive sporting marketplace in Australia. We know that. The A-League has created itself a model that, that has taken the space really in, in, that, in that summer slot. Uh, it's, now, it's now facing increasing competition from, from other sporting codes, from the, uh, from the women's AFL competition as well, um, from the Big Bash and, and, and other things in that, in that summer space. So, you know, we now, we, now, we now have severe competition. If we're not continuing looking at how, we, how do we make the, the A-League better, how do we con, you know, continue the excitement of it, how we continue to bring in something new to the league, it becomes, it becomes stagnant. And I mean, that's the fundamental reason why we should be expanding the league. It's the only way we can, we can compete with the other codes that are now, that are now active and chasing the A-League down in that, in that summer space. Uh, how, how do you do that? Um, you can take the model that that's growing the major cities. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. I think we should be bringing in a broader league that brings new dimensions to it, not just another Sydney team and another Sydney derby or another Melbourne Melbourne derby, but creating creating mini derbies. A Melbourne a Melbourne Hobart derby would be a derby, um, and we need we need to invigorate the league in that, in that regard. Just growing the model as it is now to bring another team in a major city. I, I don't really think it's going to change a lot more from what we've got. Knowing that that's the FFA strategy, interesting conversation at, at the moment because uh, we've got a group of clubs who uh, are wanting to uh, establish an independent A-League. Should that independent A-League be established, and uh, I'm hearing that, that that could happen sooner rather than later, is it then the uh, your understanding that the decision around expansion is made in collaboration with that new independent commission and the FFA, therefore increasing your chances of expansion and, and winning that licence? Right. The, the right way to go is for the, is for the A-League to expand the, the FFA and, um, and the football community in Australia 
have come a long way from where we were many, many years ago in, in national in the national competition sense to turn football in the country into a mainstream sport. And I really be congratulated on on that. But you know, everyone grows. Everyone goes from a child to a teenager to an adult, and this code needs to grow as well. So it's the FFA and the A League that must that must grow that. You know, the, you know, to then now start talking about splintering off and having a separate A-League and so forth, that's, that's starting to, to dissect the competition and the bodies in the competition up into different segments. I, I think we just need to look at the game now, have a hard look at it and look, look at what's good at it, and what's good about it, what's bad about it. I mean, there are concerns, and I'm not just the only one saying this, you just need to look at our crowd numbers, and we have, we have, we have some great teams in the competition that, uh, that the crowds are struggling so bringing in, and I'm probably repeating what I said earlier, bringing in other teams in new markets, yes, it might create a derby, but that's just creating you know, a, a couple of good games a year. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't solve the underlying problem that, that we've hit a bit of a wall at the moment. And, it, and this, is not, this is not a criticism. Every, every business does. Every business starts off and grows well, and it's new, and it's fresh, and it's exciting. And it's got to keep on then reinventing itself. It's got to find new ways to keep attracting the public to come to to come to that code. And I think that's the biggest issue facing the A League at the moment. It's it's been the same for a long time. There's been the same ten teams. Yes, there's been some teams that have come and gone, and that's what happens in a competition when you're when you're starting afresh. You know, some 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 franchises fail. Um, some franchises need help along. Some some franchises blossom. But we're at the point now where I think if we if we don't look at what else can we bring to the to the code, we are, we will be um, overtaken. Is a strong word, but we will be will be fought competitively by the by the increasing number of sports that are taking that space in that summer slot with us. So um, uh, expansion is a must. It's not it's not an option. It's a must, and, and it must be done carefully. We must broaden the footprint the footprint of the code throughout the country, and it should be done through through the A League and the SFA. But if it can't be well, then it's not, not for me to say this. I'm not involved in the club at the moment, but you know, the clubs will come to a point where if it is stagnant, you know, they'll find it difficult to keep their clubs viable and, and operating viably as well without, without strong and growing supporter bases. Now, you make a, a valid point. Um, it is uh, stagnant and, you know, we love the game and we're, we're saying it and, you know, the fans are saying it by not attending games. They're finding it quite uh, quite boring um, at, at the moment. And I know the FFA have had issues to deal with uh, with the A-League model and the uh, commercial model and they're looking at all that, um, I suppose, financial aspects of it. Um, and that's been their focus. And with the, with the FIFA... Uh, committee coming in and and with the AFC as well so they've taken their eye off the ball they need to sort that out quickly and then come out and say right this is this is the next step um and 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 how we go about it um you said you haven't spoken to the FFA for how long now since you've spoken to them about your um Tasmanian bid um at at 6 a.m in the morning they haven't put time timelines on things I'm struggling to I'm struggling to figure out what time it is here in the morning but it would be it would be at least you know Six months. Yeah. Um, the, the, the last, the last communications with the FFA were, were broad communications put out into the public space, not not directly to us. And I can't speak for any other mm. interested consortiums about um, about a model, about some tight, some timelines, timelines, and about some KPIs, etc. Where clubs would have to bid on that basis. There's been there's been nothing since then, to be honest. 
Robert, we uh, focus on on the business of sport on this program, and uh, you're you're a successful businessman. I know your partners uh, are also successful businessmen. Talk to us about the economics of setting up a new franchise, and you've been previously involved at uh, at Melbourne Victory as well as a as a board member there. Uh, are you confident that uh, financially uh, it is a sustainable model? The current well, model that we have. What's your most expensive? Was with um, probably the, the best run club in in the country and the and the, and the club that was most financially viable. But the, the fundamentals are the same. You you need to be one in a market where you embrace the population of that of that city, uh, embrace uh, the sports suburbs of that city to come and, to come and watch your club and, and victory succeed with that. And I think um, what Hobart offers is very much the same thing that victory offers. It will be not just the first club in, in Hobart, but the first club in the state and the only state. So you're, you're, you're accessing you know, a state of 600,000 people to come and watch the, um, the first team of any code that's in a serious national competition. So the fundamentals are right, uh, and the fundamentals have been supported by the crowds. They do get the crowds they, they, did, they did get when Victory went down and played, played one or two real, real league games or, or, um, or some friendly games. Even Launceston, the crowds for a friendly game were you know, the magic six and seven thousand. Um, and when they played in Hobart, the crowds were good as well too. When you when you look at numbers and that number of people that go to a sporting event that happens in Hobart, you know, they're they're in the fifteen, sixteen, eighteen, sometimes twenty thousand scale chase AFL teams that aren't their team. So I don't think anyone's going to argue that that won't draw a crowd. That will support um, an A League competition, not just financially, but in the sort of crowd number and in the boutique stadium size that will bring atmosphere, excitement, and energy to the code. I mean, that's point one. Point two: the, um, the number of people in the state that that have been business interests and are looking to grow their business interests will find an outlet in a club. That's uh, that's the only club that's really on the national stage as well. Uh, there's broad government support, and I'm not saying all Yourself and Harry, how did you come up with the concept of Tasmania? The you know bidding um, from there, given that you're sort of both uh, from Melbourne, were involved with with Melbourne Victory. Um, where did Tasmania come from? I think you've you've got to look at markets where 
where the code can grow, not just where the code already is, and you'll have another you know, one or two derbies a year. And, and it's not just our bid, there's been, some, there's been some other bidding groups that have come up with some locations that, that offer similar types, types of advantages as well. I mean, you know, Geelong, for example, is, is a good bidding city. It doesn't, it doesn't compete with, with Melbourne. I'm not trying to talk our bid down, yep. but there's, you, know, you, will create, you will create a market in, in a city there. You know, they get 20,000 to AFL games. They'll get, they'll get people coming to A-League games. So I think you're, you're looking to create new markets, not just feed off, feed off existing markets. And you know, I used to talk about, um, when we spoke about yeah, the expansion some time ago, you, know, you, you don't necessarily have to go where the fish are in the bigger cities. You've got to go where the fish are biting. And it's clear, it's clear to see at the moment the, um, the crowds in the big cities, Melbourne and Sydney, are, are flat. Uh, the Derby crowds are flat. It needs something different. And I think just putting another team in the suburbs of Melbourne or the suburbs of Sydney yes, may, may help the derby requirements, but it's not going to grow the league overall. Now, football needs to be a national code and be a national code. You need to be represented in all the states and, and in all the major cities. Uh, that, that's the reason we're Tasmania. There is no competition down there. There is no other sporting sporting club or team that, that will compete against against the first real club or real sporting um, real, you know, real sporting competition in, in Tasmania that has a national presence. Uh, Tasmanian pop, uh, you know, population loves sport like everyone else. They're starved of sport at the highest level. To bring an A-League club in, 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 into there will give them all of those benefits. I, I agree with you, uh completely Robert just on Melbourne and I'm sure you assessed the opportunity uh, there's been a lot of talk about a club away from the Melbourne CBD and perhaps in the growth of uh, the southeastern corridor what we don't have there is a stadium infrastructure was that something you looked at and uh, is it something that the Victorian government or local governments have entertained we certainly haven't uh, heard too much from the Victorian government regarding uh, you know the building of another stadium and if, for me if if we are to get another club in Melbourne it needs to be away from uh, Amy Park I, I agree I mean, you've raised a really good point there at the moment we've got two Melbourne clubs both ba- both based at a virtually the same stadium in Central CBD which isn't good the the strategic difficulty Melbourne has is that is that we're an, we're an AFL town not a rugby town, so we don't have the benefits of Sydney, where where Western, um, where the Wanderers could go out to Parramatta Stadium and play in the rectangular stadium that was already there, in Parramatta Stadium. Uh, we don't have that. So, when and football doesn't work on on ovals, it doesn't get the crowd atmosphere. I mean, uh, so the difficulty is the cost of building a stadium in in the southeast, in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne, or for that matter, making making Geelong look like a football stadium for the supporters where you're close to it. Amy's, Amy's the best stadium in the country for watching football. You're close to the ground, you're on top of it, you feel it, you feel the atmosphere. So that's an inherent difficulty for any franchise to get off the ground in Melbourne. The, the cost of building the stadium are, are large. Uh, the cost of building the stadium out in the suburbs just to, just to house one A-League club are difficult to justify. I don't have an answer of how you get over that problem without without getting support at a, at a government at a government level in Victoria. Uh, hence, why again Tasmania has advantages. It's not a stadium that will be built just for an A-League club. It will be a stadium built for for multi-purposes, um, as as Amy Park was. It will be a stadium built for the state. So I, I think um, I think to answer your question in a, in a roundabout way, 
it's very hard for anyone in, in Victoria to get a team off the ground, unless again it's in the CBD. We're South Melbourne are there, five k's down the road from Eden Park, and we're creating three teams in the middle of the CBD. How you overcome that problem is is a group of investors who are prepared to put a hell of a lot of money into building the stadium that may only be used, you know, 10, 12, 13, 15 times a year, which doesn't make the economics work. We thank you very much for joining us uh, today and uh, you've been very generous with your time and uh, setting the alarm a bit earlier for for yourself uh, over in uh, Manchester and uh, look forward to catching up when you're next back in Melbourne. Robert Beltecki, part of the Tasmanian Expansion Bid, joining us on Football Bosses here on FNR. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi, Tony Pinata with us and uh, Today we're joined by John Stensold. He's the boss of all things business in sport when it comes to uh, reporting uh, in Australia and uh, a great writer for the Australian Financial Review. He uh, joins us on the line now. John, thanks for joining us. No problems, gentlemen. You uh, get to speak to many bosses in your job, John, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the business of sport. Uh, It's a fascinating uh, conversation, I'm sure, most times for you. Tell us a little bit about uh, the first uh, topic of conversation we want to touch on today was around the uh, Champions League. We saw Melbourne victory go around last night, Sydney FC uh, in action tonight, and uh, it pricked my interest when I saw an article pop up yesterday around the AFC and just how difficult they are. I see it on game day they are pedantic about every little detail and uh, eyebrows were raised at Allianz Stadium yesterday when the AFC said you need to cover up that sign but it's going to cost you a fair bit of money to do so how did that all come about yeah that was a strange one wasn't it because I mean the, the, the quirk to that and uh, Dominic Bossy my uh, colleague at Fairfax Media wrote this up the quirk with that is that Allianz actually turns out to be a uh, Asian Football Confederation or uh, Asian Champions League sponsor as well. So why why they need to cover up a sponsor name of a sponsor that's already uh, involved in the sport? It's a it's a bizarre one, but I think it all goes back to you know what a what a stadium needs to look like and probably not favouring other sponsors or it over other sponsors and that sort of thing. But it is an odd one. It, it is costly for the clubs involved. And Tony would know that from his from his time at Sydney FC. Well, funnily enough, someone did say to me today that. Uh, it's usually only the Australian clubs that, uh, that, that tend to complain about it. Uh, most of the stadiums around Asia for other teams or other clubs tend to be government-owned and the, uh, the governments uh, tend to bear the cost of these things. But that's clearly not the case here in Australia, despite the stadiums actually being state or government-owned themselves here. Yeah, John, um, I had the uh, pleasure of dealing with the um, AFC uh, two years ago and that sign, Allianz sign, it's, it's called a hero sign as you walk up uh, to gate A um, and uh, it's worth $70,000, just that sign to cover because you've got to get uh, people in. You need uh, cranes to lift the uh, the canvas. And so what did you do two years ago? <laughs> we actually put in a... Um, a, uh, a proposal that it was uh, occupational safety and healthy health reasons that if uh, a wind blew and blew the uh, canvas off would hurt so they allowed us just to turn it off saved us 70 grand but we we got fined 30,000 US dollars for a sign in the car park 
and the sign in the car park was a little sign that said Peugeot. And the uh, match commissioner walked past that sign, didn't see it. We didn't know because we focus in on the uh, on the, the stadium. stadium. Yep. Uh, when he walked back uh, to the stadium, he saw the sign, dobbed us in. We got a thirty thousand US dollar fine, which uh, I managed to uh, beg the um, AFC and plead guilty and uh, you know cop it. But uh, they let us off with a warning, which was which was fantastic. But that. To, to cover Alien Stadium is 70,000. You've, you've actually, people don't understand, you've got to go around and put black stickers over every sign. So every Alien sign, so for example, all the security signs and the exits, there's a little Alien's logo, bang, you've got to put it on. It's uh, it, it's well over $100,000 uh, to, to cover all the signs. It gets back to, John, the conversation around uh, the Asian Champions League and, and how it's viewed here in Australia and, and how it's run uh, from the AFC. And, and this point in time from a financial point of view uh, the clubs uh, it, it's more of a drain than uh, than uh, an option for them to uh, actually reap any financial rewards in 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 the long run that's right I mean it was Western Sydney proved a few years ago if you get if you make it all the way or you get a long way in the competition you do get the the, the big prize money that comes you know towards the end but uh, you know really uh, it, it, it's a uh, yeah, they do trump it. You know, look, that uh, it's the second most lucrative Champions League in the world, which I'm sure that's true. You know, you get a million dollars for you know for the winner, run it up, getting it's got more, it's got more, it's more, million, it's more John now. thousand and so on. But you know, it's a long way between that and Europe, clearly. John, it's actually gone up uh, a lot more than that now, and because on the back of you winning it, you get to qualify for the World Club Championship, which is another million that's euros. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, although the players get half. Of, uh, of yeah, and then travel subsidies gone up as yeah. well, and that sort of thing too. So, yeah. look, it is going up. But uh, look, I was thinking, Tony. I mean, you, you, again, you'd be better qualified to talk about this. But you talk about the drain on the club's finances from qualifying. You know, that twenty, thirty, forty thousand, or whatever uh, would certainly pay for some marketing promotion around the game, wouldn't it? Yeah, look, there's, there's no doubt it, it isn't expensive. Um, but if you do qualify, uh, you know, for the semi-finals, then you start making money. Yeah, we we actually made money out of the last Champions uh, League uh, because we got a, a good sponsor. Star Trek ca- came up and they paid some good money, and you know we got really good crowds. We were lucky to, to draw Guangzhou, where you know I think we had nearly twenty thousand there that night, of which uh, ten thousand Chinese came and actually paid. Uh, Guangzhou actually paid for them to to attend the game and we gave them a sort of good ticket price but that generated mm-hmm. some some money and prize money but it's expensive and uh it, it's taxing as well on on the squad when you're flying 11 hours uh in cattle class and we we managed to, to buy some some business class seats i think six and you could rotate the players you know players who were playing over there would fly business and then if they were coming back to play in uh, in the a-league they would fly business but uh yeah, it is a very, very expensive uh, sort of process, but it is lucrative if, if you can make it. And everyone wants to play in the Champions League, and I think every Australian club who does play in it wants to do well. Um, but it's not well supported by fans. There was 5,000 there last night. I think there's only 5,000 there tonight uh, in Sydney as well. So the fans aren't supporting it, um, but I think the clubs want to make a statement uh, in, in the Champions League. Yeah, and I think also from a club's point of view, there is business opportunities off the field as well. There's been some good, you know, business networking events, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, businesses here in Australia and businesses or, or I guess chambers of commerce in a way overseas, wherever Australian players are playing, Australian teams are playing. So there is that sort of you know club to club or B to B 
business to business element too that can be beneficial for the clubs. I mean, that's not necessarily solving the, the issue of whether the fans are engaged or not, but there is some other, uh, you know, things that, that can come of being in the uh, Champions League for the club owners and for the clubs themselves too. It's a, and it's amazing television audience that you actually um, they actually watch the game over in, in China. And, uh, you know, if you do grab a sponsor who has uh, Chinese or Asian connections, then you can do really well. And as you said, you know, there's a lot of uh, functions and, um, and hospitality done over there on the, on the back of, uh, of the Champions League. So it is a very, very lucrative in that aspect. John, just uh, shifting tact a little bit, uh, the, we are talking constantly about uh, the reform process here in Australian football and and uh, we know that we're at a stalemate at the moment. Just to give us an insight into uh, Stephen Lowy, and uh, I know you've dealt with him from time to time in in your job at the Australian Financial Review. Does it surprise you that we're at where we're at with uh, the current impasse? Oh, not necessarily, Michael. I think the thing is with with billionaires, and you and I had at the rich list as well. You get to see this a lot. They do. Uh, they do play to win in whatever they do, and uh, you know there's a sense of losing face potentially, or losing reputation when it comes to these sort of things. If you seem to back down, uh, look, you know you see that from both sides of the of the of the, of the equation really. And I think that's a real problem, by the way, that it's become a, an argument where there's you know people in both camps or people taking sides. The clubs are backed by very rich individuals. You know, one of them is backed by an extremely rich country in in uh, you know a city state. You know, bit Derby, then you've got the Lowys, you know, a very powerful uh, family here in the business world in Australia. And I've written this myself, of, you know, talking about the business community would, uh, you know, Australia would, would, would sort of look on football very quizzically if the Lowys got blasted out. And that may well still happen. And, you know, there'll be ramifications from that. But on the other hand, I think uh, that clearly, given that uh, what's happened, what hasn't happened really, and it's dragged on for so long, has hurt the league this year. You know, commercially, certainly with fans as well, you know, ratings and so on. I don't think anyone's happy from either side. And uh, unfortunately, it's got to this stage where, you know, maybe a third umpire will eventually come in and adjudicate on the process. Yeah, it's a fascinating one, which I think we'll we'll see some movement on in the next fortnight. Uh, you do follow uh, the sponsorship and uh, and TV rights and, and negotiations very closely as well. And today, uh, just recently, we learned that uh, the growth of the financial, you know, element of the English Premier League may have stalled just a little bit. Uh, it looks like uh, yeah, new deals being done with uh, with broadcasters over there. Sky and, and BT have won the right to continue screening games in the Premier League, but not uh, earning as much as they have done in the past, the English Premier League, for their rights. No, that's right. It's the domestic rights, which I think is interesting. So Sky, for example, but really does stay with Sky and BT Sport, you know, the pay TV networks over in the UK. Now, uh, Sky's going to pay oh, roughly £1.2 billion pounds per annum as part of the deal, but that's actually down about 15 16% from what they've been paying annually. So you could argue, make that argument that, yes, TV rights are stalling. Now, that's a, that's a pretty substantial reduction on a domestic basis for the English Premier League. I mean, if that happened to a sport in Australia and you're talking a sport that went down double digits annually, then there'd be issues for sure. I think the beauty with the Premier League and the, you know, the luck for them is it's a global sport, isn't it? So... Well, they may uh, not get a big increase in the UK. They could probably more than make up for it from the series of deals that they'll do internationally you know, through Asia, the US, 
you know, other places in the world. So really, uh, yes, the domestic market is very important for them, but really, it's, given it's such a global sport, they'll make so much money abroad, it'll probably more than make up for whatever they, whatever is happening for them in the UK itself. And if you bring a local uh, lens on all of that, we know that uh, Fox Sports uh, recently signed a deal with, with the A-League, which was significantly increased on, on the previous one, but there was some disappointment over the structure of that deal, not from a financial point of view, but also from uh, the exposure point of view as well. And uh, Channel 10 obviously took on the Saturday night game, but uh, the FFA didn't get any money for it, basically gave that away. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, it was a Fox deal in the end. It was the terms of the deal meant that uh, you know, Fox had control over that process. And at, the, at that time, uh, News Corporation, which owns all of Fox Sports, uh, you know, were looking to do some sort of a deal potentially to, to also buy Channel 10. Now, that didn't happen. But as part of that, uh, you know, you saw in the lead up to that uh, Fox and 10 uh, yeah, doing some more sports broadcasting deals together, being it, be it football, V8, Grand Prix, so on and so forth. So that was part of that. It's only for a couple of years. Uh, it certainly hasn't been a success. The interesting thing about the Fox deal uh, with FFA is that other sports, uh, particularly at the time, it said to me, look, oh, we couldn't believe how much the FFA got for the A-League rights, given the ratings. So the ratings have gone down since. I suspect Patrick Delaney's not too impressed the Fox boss about where the ratings are going. And and if anything, it looks an even better deal for FFA given you know, where where the numbers are heading. That's not a great scenario for everyone involved, but uh, and the term of it, six years, was also questioned too. But I'm not really sure they were they could, they could have got any more for it as to what they got. I think the um, in the end they had uh, no other option. Um, you know that 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 was a deal that Fox put to them, and um, you know if they didn't agree with that, there would have been no no deal. So uh, exactly right. When you look at the global trends, John, on on sports rights, though, and uh, we're, we're speaking specifically about football here, I suppose the the next phase of growth, if if the television uh, deals are, are reaching a certain point now and uh, are perhaps going backwards, then the the growth of the digital platforms is, I suppose, uh, an area that uh, the sports in general are looking towards for perhaps a greater slice of the pie, which which hasn't been there in the past. Yeah, we've all waited for the Facebooks and the you know, the Googles and uh, Amazon and so on to get involved with the big bidding for sports rights. Would have thought the uh, the Premier League could be one of those to start with, and maybe we'll see that when they go to the market for the global deals later in the year. But uh, you know, it's probably more lucrative for them to go on a market-by-market basis. Maybe those big American sports is where they get involved one day, China with some of their streaming services that are separate too. It's not, it doesn't feel quite ready for it yet, maybe. And I know that uh, you know, a couple of those companies are certainly looking at cricket rights here in Australia, but I can't see them paying big money for them just quite yet. So we're probably a little bit away from it. Uh, you know, with the caveat that uh, you know, one of these days, one of them is gonna do a big deal for a big sport. And just before we let you go, uh, we, we talk a lot about expansion. Uh, we had Robert Beltecki on the show earlier, and he spoke to us about the Tasmanian bid and, and uh, some of the financials around why Tasmania versus perhaps two, two businessmen from Melbourne uh, wanting to, to go into Tasmania rather than staying here in Victoria. The, the A-League has got a, a raft of issues to work through, but clubs in general uh, are finding it hard to, to turn a profit. Uh, there are a handful that, that manage to do 
what are what are some of the the big issues you think for uh, for the clubs in the future especially especially when we look at expansion uh, that they do have a slice of the revenue pie when it comes to tv rights but apart from that uh they're, they're finding it hard to to turn a profit yeah, look, if they can collectively do deals for sponsorship and that sort of thing too, if they think they can do a better job than FFA, then that would be fantastic, quite frankly. Uh, you know, Tony will, will definitely tell you stadium deals is such a huge uh, issue for, for the clubs here. You know, the clubs don't have control, uh, don't have ownership of the stadiums. Uh, that's where probably the Southern expansion team in in, uh, in Sydney could be, a, could be an interesting one, although I'm not sure the uh, incumbent teams necessarily want them around, but if you get a control of the stadiums, revenues and so on, then you can... You know, you could uh, you know, you could be could be so much better. That that's a, probably the real crux of the issue for so many sports in Australia. The stadiums are very expensive to uh, to you know to hire and to operate. So I'm not really sure whether that ever gets solved, quite frankly. And that's a government. You know, that is that comes down to how you negotiate and uh, with government. Um, that really is something that I think we've neglected. And you're right; it's one of the the biggest things uh, holding us back. When you look at uh, Brisbane Raw as an example, playing at, at Suncorp Stadium, it, it is way too big, and it's costing them way too much money. That's right. And look, you know, the cost of land here in Australia, as we all know, if we're wanting to buy a house or anything, that is just so. Huge. I mean, you, you, people talk about the MLS model, for example. Well, that's that's the fantastic, and there's some very rich individuals that own clubs over there. But they get some very cheap land deals from local councils and authorities to build those stadiums in you know former blighted areas and that sort of thing. It doesn't seem to exist here in Australia. Those sort of bargains and inverted commas. Do you ever see that happening? Like in in the long term, though. Like if you talk about growth corridors in in you know the southeast of uh, Melbourne, Dandenong, and and those such areas, there is land out there, uh, but it it is really incumbent on government to to come to the party. That's right to rezone it and for someone to stump up some of the construction costs. I mean, I, I, you just don't see uh, rich individuals here necessarily uh, paying you know, big money to to. Do to buy stadiums. Uh, I'm not sure they're as economic an investment as a shopping centre or a uh an office block in the middle of a CBD, unfortunately. I think it speaks volumes when you've got a guy like Sir Harry Stamoulis, who's one of the most uh, successful property developers in Australia, <laughs> saying that it's too expensive to, to build a stadium. Yeah, exactly right, and that's the issue. So, again, it goes back to the cost of land here in Australia, unfortunately. So, it was a bit cheaper, I reckon it, uh, you'd see more people doing it, for sure. John, we thank you very much for uh, your time today and uh, giving, giving us an insight into the business side of sport. Not a problem, gents, any time. John Stensolt uh, from the Australian Financial Review, joining us on The Football Bosses. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Code Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to Football Bosses here on FNR. Michael Zapponi, Tony Pinata. What a show it's been, Tony. Fascinating conversation on expansion. I'm all for Tasmania. I'll go down there and uh, support them when they start in this competition, I think we need them here. So many uh, advantages for for uh, op- and opportunities down there. I think Robert made some very, very valid points. Um, you know, him and Harry have uh, thought this through, and you know, we asked them the question as to why they they believe Tasmania is a uh, a place uh, for a new A League club. And yeah, I wish them well. I mean, I'm all for expansion, and if they can get up, I think they've got the. Uh, the colour's right, and I think they've got their heart in it and they're passionate about it, uh, which is first and foremost. And 
and um, we just really need FFA now to come up with the uh, blueprint on on expansion and um, go from there. And I am hearing, I did mention this last week, and I'm, I'm standing by this, that uh, things are moving next, at FFA headquarters. Next week, maybe. Perhaps we'll hear something in the next week. FIFA is due uh, at the end of the month, but I think we'll get some news before then, before FIFA hits town. My little uh, spies tell me that the parties uh, could be coming together in the next few days. You'd hope so. You'd hope that common sense will prevail and they could sort it out before uh, you know, it gets even, even worse and then FFA can focus on what they need to focus and grow the game. All right, and uh, a, a big uh, conversation around uh, Premier League rights and and what that means for the broader sport. As a as a club CEO, tell us about uh, the the impact of the, the new broadcast rights. Uh, we touched on it with John uh, in Australia. There was a, a lot of discussion that you know it just wasn't enough for the a-league clubs and the clubs were expecting more but if you take away foxes it is it's it's a two-pronged argument isn't it? if you take away fox's input then there's no a-league so i suppose the the question is the club should be should they be happy with what they got or should they be right in saying we, we need more to run our clubs no never enough but all club owners should go up to patrick delaney and give him a hug and a kiss because without him, there would be no league. And what Fox have done is amazing. And, uh, you know, they probably paid a little bit over. Um, and that's sort of Patrick in, in terms of his support for, for the league. Uh, yeah, look, there was a lot of numbers thrown, a $60 million, you know, $6 million each club should get. It went up a little bit, went up with the salary cap. Um, you know, you, you can't sort of buck the trend a little bit but uh, I think what Fox did was was amazing and uh, and we you know we got him for six years and to be fair it was the only deal around at the time um, they, they couldn't even sell the free-to-air rights to anyone else so Channel 10 automatically took it and they can negotiate the, the, the free-to-air rights I think at the end of this year as well so um, you know if you look at the numbers at the moment, um, you know, Fox, uh, Fox deal is very, very good. And there's no secret that uh, audience numbers are down and the crowd numbers are down. So uh, if, you're, if you're Patrick Delaney and you're thinking, well, we need better value for what we're investing in this game. And, and that's the other piece of the puzzle uh, when we're talking about reform and expanding the league. I think they uh, will put some pressure on, on, on the FFA to, to start to make things happen yeah I mean it's very expensive I mean you know an, an OB and broadcast is, is probably worth about forty fifty thousand dollars plus the shows they do so they put a lot of effort and a lot of marketing in, into the game and uh, uh, we should uh, really take our hat off uh, to, to Fox Sports alright thanks to you for tuning in and thanks to all of our guests uh, we'll do it again next week uh, thank you Tony and uh, from me and Tony Pinata it's goodbye for now <laughs> Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pignata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Team, team, team.